Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. <clears throat> Scripture says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Somebody say amen at the reading of God's word. God bless you. Join me and pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness today. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for who you are. And I pray you speak to our hearts today by the spirit of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. As I said, good morning. If you missed last Sunday, it was awesome. And anybody enjoyed Neil Kennedy? And uh, I thought it brought a good word on prayer, so I'm, I'm glad that you were here to be a part of that with us. And what I appreciated the most about our guests last week was just the ability to allow the Lord to flow in the altar time. Amen? And uh, it was powerful and uh, super excited about, about Him and what God is doing in His life. This morning, I want to continue in our series, Thanks Living, as we get ready to approach the Thanksgiving holiday and um, I want to talk to you from uh, the subject this morning, the measure of your treasure. I want to talk about the measure of your treasure. Just two weeks ago, I talked about how the Thanksgiving holiday is so pure among everything else. Uh, commercialism has crept into not only the world, but the church. And so what do I mean by that? I want to just give you a quick recap this morning, but we talked about all of the holidays that we celebrate from New Year's to Valentine's to Resurrection, or the, as the world refers to it, as Easter. Uh, and then we get into Mother's Day, Father's Day. We get into um, our military holidays, Veterans Day and Memorial Day, the 4th of July. But then when you get into the commercial things, we get into, of course, Halloween, and we don't really celebrate that. But, you know, we get into like uh, Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And out of all of those holidays, the most pure, in my opinion, is Thanksgiving. And the reason why is because Santa, Santa Claus has overtaken Christmas in the world. And Easter Bunny has overtaken Resurrection Day. But Thanksgiving is still that holiday that we celebrate that is the most pure. When our ancestors came over on the Mayflower, it was the celebration of the first harvest that they had taken there and they got together and they gave thanks to God for freedom and for a newfound land and um, it was really really interesting and pure and so all of these years that's what we've maintained so I would surmise that this Thursday those of you in this room you're probably going to eat turkey you're going to eat some dressing or some stuffing depending on if you're a Yankee or a southerner come on somebody uh, you're going to have some green bean casserole, some sweet potato pie. Come on, Frankie. We're going to have some good stuff, right? Good stuff. And if you're a sports person, you're probably going to be watching football. And if you like parades, you're going to watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade. You're going to gobble till you wobble, take a nap because turkey produces a chemical that makes you want to go to sleep. And you're going to be really regretful come Friday when you eat all of those leftovers. So that's, that's the purity of the Thanksgiving holiday. But what I shared last uh, two weeks ago was this. That in the middle of the purity of the holiday, in less than 24 hours, when the, the dinner bell is rang and the amen is said at the prayer, the world has slipped in another thing inside of there to make us totally forget 
everything that we had previously done on the day before. And that is this devilish little holiday called Black Friday. And that is where people are fighting over Air Jordans and Tickle Me Elmos and 70-inch TVs. And people are fighting over all of these sales. So Thanksgiving, we're talking about being grateful, being thankful, giving blessing to God for what He has given us. And then in less than 24 hours, the world is in pandemonium trying to save a dollar on what's really not a deal because they marked it up just to mark it down and call it a sale. People are literally camping outside of Best Buy in order to get in. People can't come to church early, but they camp outside of Best Buy or JCPenney, come on somebody, or wherever to get a sale. And so it sends the world into a pandemonium. And I think that it is nothing more than robbing us of the purity of the holiday. Now, as I begin to think about this, I begin to think that one of the things that people dread the most about living in the days in which we live, dreading the holidays, is the financial stress that comes along with it. Thanksgiving and Christmas already has its own problems. As I mentioned for uh, a few minutes ago, if there are families that are in strife or there's been loved ones that have died, there's already this issue. And, and people struggle with depression this time of the year, it seems to be, because the days are longer and just memories and all of this stuff. And then add the financial stress and strain on top of it, of trying to keep up with the latest gadgets and gizmos and things that your children want. I'm, I'm telling you, I remember wanting Lincoln Logs when I was six years old. They don't want that no more. They want Wii's and Nintendo Switches. Come on, somebody. And iPads. and Stuff that costs a lot of money. When your kids go to school and all their other friends have this and that, and then they come home and they don't have it, it makes you feel a little less than. Makes you have a little stress in your life. And then you got invited to the family Christmas. And you've got that one family member that buys everybody something. And then now you feel like you have to buy everybody something. And the holiday season, all the joy is sucked right out of it. So here's what I want to talk to you about. It's reported among people that financial stress is among the greatest in the next two months. In fact, here's what I want you to get. Market Watch and Lending Tree, both of those which are financial organizations, have said this. Market Watch and Lending Tree both said that the average family with children in the household under the age of 18 incur an extra $1,460-something, let's just say $1,500, on average of new credit card debt. That's just the purchase amount, sticker price. That doesn't include finance charges. It doesn't include anything like that. It's a little bit less for those who don't have children in the home. And so I want you to understand something, that in the midst of Black Friday, if you don't make good decisions, you're going to have more than one Black Friday. Because in just a few weeks, you won't be able to pay your light bill, you won't be able to have any gas in your car. Come on, somebody. And the Thanksgiving turkey will be long gone. 
And so this morning, my message is more pastoral. I know this is not a shouting message, but this morning, I want to help you not have as much stress during the holidays and forget about the whole reason we even celebrate in the first time, in the first place. So I want you to think about this. Wrong decisions on Black Friday will lead to many Black Fridays. It's the season where we typically overextend ourselves to purchase gifts for people who don't really like us, to impress people that we don't really like. And at the end of the day, some of the Christmas gifts that we buy people, they don't even use. How many of you have ever went to a company Christmas party and you got a gift and it's still in the closet somewhere or it made it to the white elephant Christmas party the next year? Come on, somebody. But yet we have this idea that we have to strap ourselves and overextend ourselves every single year. For what? To keep up with the Joneses? Let me tell you, consumer debt, which is houses, cars, credit cards, personal loans. Consumer debt in America this month hit $16.5 trillion. If you take the U.S. population, the people that are in the U.S. right now, and you divvy that up per capita, that that tells us that there are $96,371, almost $100,000 for every person alive right now in America. Debt. You need to think about that. Crazy. It's true. Whether it's a house, cars, toys, or just plain old living expenses. Americans are in debt up to our eyeballs. That right there can make holiday stress even more unbearable. The question is, for what? For what? Have we become enslaved to things that do not really matter? I want to share some wisdom this morning from the mouth of Solomon in Proverbs. Notice what he said in Proverbs 22, verse 7. You ready for this? He says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Hold on, let's read it again. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, that sounds real real nice. The old King James kicks it back a little bit more old school and he says it like this. The borrower is a slave to the lender. You remember watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? Hi-ho, hi-ho, off to work I go. You know, most Americans sing a similar song. But it goes like this. I owe, I owe. So off to work I go. And this morning, I want you to understand that not all bad debt, all debt is bad debt. I mean, God doesn't want us to be in debt, but you understand you borrow things, borrow on things that appreciate like a house or a business or something. But you have to understand, I know people get in circumstances and situations where they can't help it, but if you put a hamburger on a credit card, it, it, you, it has, you have paid for it two and three times over in interest fees. 
and things of that nature. And so this morning, I want to help you just a little bit in the middle of all of this. See, because we are so tied down to our stuff, because we're so tied down to it, our financial means that God has blessed us with really has little to no impact because we don't have much room, really, to do what God has called us to do. Amen? And so this morning, I want you to look at this with me because it's, first of all, it's hard to give what you don't have. Second of all, it's hard to give what you've already committed to somebody else. How many of you want to be more generous this next year? Come on, raise your hand. I'm going to tell you, I want to give you some principles today to help you. Now, I want to just tell you this morning, you can breathe. There's not a second offering that's going to be taken. I'm not broke, so I'm not doing this to get anything out of it. In fact, I have purposely not taken a raise in five years. My choice, not the board's. Also, our church isn't in trouble, so I'm not teaching this for them. I'm teaching this for you. Because I want to see your family do better this next year. I want to see God do some things in your life that are supernatural. How many of you want to see God do some supernatural things in your life? Come on, give him some praise this morning. But the problem is we leave so little room for God to work in our lives. We, we have worked him out of the equation. So rather than tithing or giving to God from the first portion of our increase, many of us simply end up tipping God rather than tithing. Like our guest said next, last week, he, sold, he, he stole my phrase, uh, we tip the one who serves us, but we tithe to the one whom we serve. God is either above all or he's not at all. And so, I'm going to ask you the question, what would happen if we truly arranged our lives and our budgets to match our spiritual priorities? See, in our passage this morning, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving us some great insight. I want to go back and read it again with you. Matthew the 6th chapter, here's what he said. He said, do not, everybody say, do not. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the middle of this passage, Jesus is dealing with us in knowing how to help ourselves set right priorities as it relates to God. And this morning, I believe that God wants to help each and every one of us in this room do better in this area of our lives. And so, you can call this what you want to, and you can call it whatever, whatever you want to call it, but I'm telling you, it's just good, plain, biblical stewardship. So if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. Here's the first point in my message. Number one, where we spend our money is a reflection of our priorities. Where we spend our money is a reflection of our priorities. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 at the very last part of this message. In verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your what? 
Come on. Where your treasure is, there your what? There your heart will be also. There's something to be said about a magic invisible string that attaches our wallet to our heart. You don't believe me? You get an extra thousand dollars and you decide to put it you decide to put it in Walmart stock. It is amazing how now all of a sudden you care so much about Walmart. You want to know if it's up, you want to know if it's down, you just want to know. It's the same thing with anything. What you invest in connects you. Why? Because our resources, what we've spent, what we've earned rather, is a product of our energy, our creativity. It is in essence a byproduct of what we do every single day. So when we place that somewhere, what does it do? It it connects us to it. I don't play the lottery, but it's interesting. People who buy a lot lot of lottery tickets, they always want to know who won. Because you're thinking, okay, maybe I might be one of them. Well, the truth is, where we spend our money is a reflection of our priority. Billy Graham said this. Here's what he said. He said, there is nothing that reveals a man's heart more than where he spends his two most precious commodities, his time and his treasure. Look at a man's calendar and look at a man's pocketbook, and you can tell what he loves. Now, why is that important? Because our time and our resources are valuable assets and tools that God has entrusted us to to steward. Amen? So, I want you to think about this. Billy Graham said that if you look at a man's time and see where he spends it, or if you look at a man's paycheck and you see where he spends it, you can truly get in touch with what he loves. Now, I want, I want to ask you the question. I, this is an in, introspective question, so you don't have to answer it this morning. But here's the question, though. If people were to look through your financial records, what could they tell that you love? Some people love coffee. Some people love trips. A lot of people love themselves. You should love yourselves. There's a healthy measure of that. But if somebody was to look in your life, would they be able to tell you love Jesus based on your resources? It's an interesting question. Think about it. Nobody's casting stones here this morning. Nobody's looking at your tax returns either. I'm just asking you to ask introspectively, if a person was to look at your financial well-being, would they be able to tell that you love Jesus? Why? Because where we spend our money is a reflection of our priorities. Now, I, need, I got an illustration. Trey, can I borrow you? Stand on this side right here. I need nine young people to line up right here. Real quick, real quick. Just nine, just nine, not more. Trey, stay. Nine young people right here. Come on, count them off, count them off, count them off, count them off. One, two, three, four. All right, who else, who else, who else? Some of y'all can't count. That's why your checkbook's messed up. Here, scoot over. Go all the way down, guys. All the way down, all the way down. Like spread out so you're not on top of each other. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, good job. And Trey. All right, so I want to read a scripture to you. Here's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. You ready for this? 
He said, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst forth or overflow with new wine. I want to tell you, part of thanks living and part of a life of giving thanks is to keep God at the forefront of our minds. Amen? To keep Him at the forefront of our hearts. Now, the ushers were so gracious. They were so gracious this morning. I'm going to get down here to hand me 10 $100, or not, no, not, I'm prophesying, not $100 bills. $1 bills. And you can't see this, but this is for illustration purposes. So, right here, I have 10 $100 bills. Which one of those is the tithe? First of all, what's the tithe off a of 10? But which one is the tithe? It's the first one, right? Okay, but let me, let me tell you what most people do. They say, Pastor Brad, I can't afford to tithe. So, they take everything. Y'all know I'm make-believing this morning. Wait, $2, no, 3 because of inflation, for my rent, $2 for my car payment, see, $3, or $2 rather, we already run it out of money, see there, $2 for, we got a dollar for energy drinks, because you got to have those, and then we've got like, Let's see, we got to break this up into some change here. You don't even get a whole dollar because inflation's been bad this year. Sorry, guys. So most people, do, most people do that. And then they say, I know it says in God we trust, but I don't really. So Now let me ask you a question. What kind of blessing comes from that? You know why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Now give me my money back. So, but what does this look like? Watch this. Just simple math. Honor the Lord with your substance. And the first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. Which one is the tithe? First. Listen. God never asks you to do everybody's part. But he does ask you to do yours. Now look. What's one dollar out of ten? God, I honor you. Thank you for giving me breath to be able to work. Thank you for giving me the ability to be able to get out and provide for my family. I'm putting you first. I don't want to give you my leftovers. You're first. So watch what happens when I honor the Lord with my substance. And the what? First fruits. Everybody say first fruits. He said, then my vats will be overflowing and my barns bursting forth. So isn't it amazing that when you honor God, he makes everything kind of stretch. 
Let's do this one more time. Watch this. I'm about to drop a heavy revelation right now. It's so simple, a third grader didn't understand it. Some people say, Pastor, I can't afford to tithe. Let me just tell you, you can't because you don't. I want to read one more scripture for you. Proverbs 11, verse 24. There is one who scatters. Everybody say scatter. He releases, yet he increases more. But watch this. But there is one who does what? Withholds more than is right. But what does it do? I rest my case. Go sit down, guys. I rest my case. You say, Pastor, the Lord doesn't need my money. No, He doesn't, but missionaries do. No, He doesn't, but your youth program does. Come on, somebody. God never asks us to do other people's parts. He only asks us to do our part. So let me ask you a question. In the light of all that God has blessed us with, what is a dollar out of ten? Now, I want you to think about this because I taught Wednesday night, if you were here, money is not evil. Money is very neutral. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's when you're serving the almighty dollar rather than the almighty God. Money in the hands of a criminal does bad things. Money in the hands of a real man or woman of God does great things. Now, let me ask you the question. Money is a magnifier. People say, well, if, if, if I had it, I would do it. No, you wouldn't. You're lying. I didn't say it. Jesus did. He said, he that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. But he who is unfaithful with little will be unfaithful in much. This is why people who generally win the lottery are more broke in two to three years than they were when they started. Because they got it an illegitimate way. Gambling is not in God's prosperity plan for your life. Work, hard work, tithing, giving to the poor. God has a way of economically blessing His people for the kingdom of God. But listen, don't fool yourself. If you can't give God a dollar out of ten, you'll never give Him a hundred thousand out of a million. I want you to think about it. God wants to bless us. Now, what I say, where we spend our money is a reflection of our priorities. Here's the second thing. Number two, the here and now really doesn't last forever. Now that you've gotten my tithing lesson for the year, here you go. Most of what we're stressing ourselves over, the house, the car, the truck, the camper, the motorcycle, the ski boat, everything that we have, everything that we're stressing ourselves over, it has a shelf life. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter a whole lot. You see, we've lost this word in the Scripture called contentment. Where Paul said, in, with food and raiment, be, be content. 
you know, and, and he talks about, yeah, and it's not wrong to believe God to, to, to do better and to be better, but the, our purpose and our motive for chasing after resources should not be for the here and now. Don't get me wrong. God wants us to enjoy. Everybody say enjoy. God wants us to enjoy all his blessings. He he put the deer here. He put the cows here. He put the lakes here. He put the fish in the lakes. But God doesn't want you to enjoy the lakes over him. Or people say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm having church out here on the boat. Come on now. Now, I'm not legalistic about it, but you understand what I'm saying. God doesn't want our blessings to turn into a curse. And now what he intended to bless us only keep us back farther from him. So I, I want, don't get me wrong. God wants us to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy it. But here's the emphasis of Matthew chapter 6. Are you ready for this? Here's the emphasis. Go back with me to verse number 9. Look what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves. Do not lay up for yourselves. The emphasis here is the purpose of your pursuit. Do not lay up for who? Here's what God is trying to say. His blessing for our life is not for us to be so selfishly um, inclined with it that we just spend it all on ourselves and we never have anything to, to do to help the poor, the needy, the kingdom of God, or anything like that. Notice, he said, do not store up for yourself uh, treasures on, on earth. Don't lay them up. Let me ask you the question. This is a, this is a hard-hitting one. Wouldn't it be terrible... For God to have given you a nice job, amazing pay, benefits, and have absolutely nothing to show for it eternally when you stand before Him on Judgment Day. The boat burn up, the truck burn up, the shotguns burn up. Come on, all that burnt up. And the Lord says, what did you do with what I gave you? And there's nothing there. I believe it's time that all of us start living a little bit more eternally focused. Amen? So I want you to notice the emphasis here. The emphasis here is that the purpose of God giving us resources is not only to meet the needs of our own families, but to be a blessing to the kingdom of God and those around us. Come on. You say, if you spend your whole life being screwed. And you die with a billion dollars in the bank and, and you never have an heir to leave it to and you never invested any of it into eternal things in the kingdom of God. What does that really matter at the end of your life? It doesn't really matter at all. Why? Because our houses will fail. Our cars will rust. Our toys will eventually give out. So we shouldn't focus on them as if they're the end all of all life. God's purpose for us is to live in this earth, to enjoy this earth. But folks, I think sometimes we forget that this world is not our home. It's not our home. We're not staying here forever, so we need to quit acting like we're staying here forever. Which leads me to my third thought this morning. 
Only what we do for eternity matters. Now I ask the question, what is $1 out of 10? What is $1 out of 10? But I got another question. Why does a $10 bill in your wallet seem so big to put it in the coins for kids box? But it seems so small compared to that iPhone purchase. It, it's a question that deserves to be asked. Why, why does that seem so sacrificial? When in turn, oftentimes we think nothing about buying food we don't need, clothes we won't wear, or things of that nature. Why does it seem so big? I'll tell you why. Because the American church is drunk with commercialism. We have fallen too in love with the world. And things that really matter don't, and things that, that, that do, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. We, we, get, we got it backwards. But listen, only what we do for eternity matters. You know, when we stand before Jesus one day, which by the way, all of us are, all of us are going to stand before Him. Let me ask you the question. We're going to give an account with their stewardship of what we've done. So get this. I want you to imagine. With God, it's not equal contribution. It's equal sacrifice. Here's what God, God, God asks of us. He asks of us to take the first 10% of our income and to give it back into His work. Now, for a millionaire who makes a million dollars a year, God's asking that millionaire to give $100,000. But if you make $30,000 a year, He's asking you for $3,000. It's equal portion, but it's not, e it's not equal pay. I want you to understand something. God wants all of us to participate in kingdom economics. Are y'all still with me? I said I wasn't going to take an offering up, but y'all are making me wonder. Come on, somebody. And actually, I'm going to be honest with you about... Uh, eight years ago, I preached a message very similar to this in the church that I pastored in Louisiana. And on Monday morning, a guy came to the church and brought a check for thousands upon thousands of dollars and said, I've been holding my tithe back for eight months. I need to repent. Come on. I tell you, God's serious. You know, there are about 200 verses in the New Testament on prayer. There are about 150 verses in the New Testament on heaven. There are over 500 verses in the New Testament on stewardship. Because God really does care about how we handle what He's entrusted to us. And people wonder sometimes why they're not farther ahead in life. Because if you have closed hands, God has closed hands. But when you have open hands, God has open hands. I could tell a story this morning, but I won't. But I've proven this in my life over and over and over again. But here's what I'll tell you. Only what we do for eternity matters. 
There are some of you in this room, and I made the example a moment ago about the millionaire and the 30,000 to show you that it's, it's equal reward because both of those people, if they do what God has told them to do, God's not looking at the millionaire and saying, man, you sure were generous because you gave 100,000. That's not generous. That's just tithing. It's not real generous till he throws a couple more hundreds in there. Then that's offering. But we sometimes look at the amount. God's not looking at the amount. He's looking at the obedience of our heart. That's why the widow's might was so significant in Jesus' day. Because he said, look at this woman. She has given all that she had. These Pharisees, they're blowing their trumpets. They're making a lot of noise. They're just doing it for show. They've already got their reward. This woman right here, she's the real deal. She gave until it hurts. Only what we do for eternity matters. Here's what I would bet. I'm not a betting man. I don't believe in betting. But if I was, if I was, I would be willing to wager that at the judgment seat there will be some widows, some single moms, and some saints who made very little in their lifetime, but they were faithful to God, faithful to church, faithful to pray, faithful to tithe. And every single time a missionary came through, all they could give was a dollar or two. And some people say, well, that ain't, that's not that much. I, I gave $100. Yeah, but what did you have left over? Sometimes that $2 was all they had, and they had to pull a piece of gum off of it. Amen. You know, if you've never dug in a church mother's purse or your grandmother's purse, it's a whole, that's a whole other ball game. You never know what you find in the bottom of a purse. But I can imagine when they get before God at the throne of God, God's saying, great is your reward. Because you gave to the missionary from India. All of these Hindu people heard the gospel. And they got saved. Because of you. And I can imagine, you, me? Yes, because of you. Or the far-flung corners of Afghanistan where the persecuted church is. Or Iran or China or Africa or some places like that. Because people have given to the work and the cause of Christ sacrificially, even though it may have just been a little. You can only imagine what it will be like when they stand before God and get a reward. But then there are going to be some people who made big bucks. And I'm not saying they're not going to heaven, but they're not going to have a lot of reward because everything they did was for down here. Everything they did was for down here. And it didn't translate into kingdom riches. So I want you to go back with me, and I'm about ready to, to close. I want, you to, I want you to see this. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where in heaven here's what i want you to know every time you tithe every time you give to a missionary every time you help the poor 
You know what the scripture says about giving to the poor? He that lends to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay you. God says, I just want to get it through you and I can get it back to you. But whenever you do those things, here's what you're doing. You're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know why that's important? That's important because that's where we're going. We're not staying down here forever. When we do come back, God's going to make it all brand new. But the point is, is that we're not living for this down here. So yes, it's okay to enjoy the fruit of your labor. It's okay to enjoy what God has given you. But what, what, where we get out of perspective is when we leave God out of the equation. And all I'm simply saying today, the measure of your treasure really says a lot about how you value the goodness of God. Because when I'm thankful... Because let me tell you, tithing is a principle. People say, well, tithing was under the law. Well, you need to go back to school. Because it was before the law. In fact, rabbinic teachers believe that the reason... Now, I want you to think about this. God, what is the tithe? The first. Everybody say the first. That's not in your Bible, but it's in rabbinic teaching. Here's what... Here's what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then you get down into chapter 2 and it says, And God made man in his image and his likeness. And in his image he created him male and female. And then he said, It's not good for man to be alone. And he puts Adam to sleep, takes a bone of his flesh and, and, and creates a woman for him. He says, have dominion over the earth and everything in it. And then he says, out of all of the trees that you created, that I've created rather, seed producing trees that produce after their own kind, you eat from everything except for the one that's in the middle of the garden. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, it was when they ate of the fruit of that tree that the curse came upon them. Do you know most rabbis believe that that tree was the first one God created? Think about it. What was the first murder in the Bible over? Cain and Abel. They were sacrificing before the law. Before the law. Abel says, I'm going to kill the firstborn and give God the best. Cain says, I'm just going to give God whatever I want. The Bible says the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's. And Cain got mad and murdered his brother. First fruits goes way beyond the law. It was included in the law, but it, it went way before it and way after it. But here's the truth. Here's what the Bible says. You ready? All of this he really owns it all. He just lets you manage part of it. And every payday, he gives you a test. The word tithe, it means tenth. The, the number ten in the Bible is a number of testing. And God gives us a test. And so, how many people fail the test every single week? 
Now listen, I said this morning, I'm not teaching this because I need something. I'm teaching this because you need to be blessed. Some of you, God wants to break generational mindsets of poverty off of your family. Some of you need to get frustrated with never having enough to do what's in your heart to do. You are always going to struggle until you put God first. Now, let me just tell you this. Just because you give the first tent, that's not, a, that's not, it's not magic. It's not, as, as my Hispanic brothers would say, that's not brujaria. It's not a trick. You still have to learn to manage the 90. But God says, when you put me first, I'll open the windows of heaven over your life. And I will pour out a blessing upon you that there won't even be room enough to receive it. I want to tell you something this morning. You want to get down to the brass tacks of why I give? Lonnie and I have been missions givers and missions goers for a long time while we tithe. It all boils down to this. Because we're thankful for what the Lord has done in our lives. You realize Passover, they were to take that firstborn lamb, kill it, apply the blood over the doorpost. And after they were to do that, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy and he said in the future generations, he says, you need to continue this. And when your children ask you, why do you sacrifice the lamb? Why do you put the, why do you, why do you, why do you do those things? You tell them, because the Lord brought us out of Egypt. It's to remember what he did. So don't get it twisted. Giving is not about a supernatural lottery not about buying anything from God. He's not for sale. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's not about anything like that, but it is about giving God thanks for what He's done in your life. And as a Christian, we, we realize that when we give, it goes to support ministry and to do things and to increase God's footprint in our community and to do things for the kingdom of God. God wants to do that. And I just want to tell you, God can't bless the church any further unless He blesses the people of the church further. God wants to expand all of our capacity. Come on. How many of you want to be stress-free in the holidays and thankful? Stand up on your feet. Here's what I want to tell you.